Today the Lord is speaking to us from Psalm 63. A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Let's pray. O great God, Lord, we thank you that you have gathered us in your presence to hear words from on high. Lord, we are here before you. Speak to us, we ask, through your Holy Spirit and through your word. Lord, may you enable me to deliver your word to your people by the power of your Holy Spirit, that Christ may be glorified and honored in our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The hymn we just sang, Abide With Me, was written by Henry Francis Light. He was a pastor of a small fishing village in Devonshire in England in the 19th century. Henry Light pastored this congregation for 23 years. And during that time, his health progressively worsened. His lungs became theistic. And eventually, he realized in his mid-50s that he had tuberculosis. So to help himself recover, he planned a therapeutic holiday to Italy. The afternoon that he had preached his last sermon to his people, Henry Light retired to his study, and he emerged about an hour later with pieces of a poem that he had entitled, Abide With Me, which we just sang. Then leaving for France, Henry Light continued working on that poem, eventually reaching Avignon in France, and then copying, sending a copy of that poem to his wife, who was back in England. Eventually, Henry Light reached the south of France, and in Nice, in the French Riviera, his lungs eventually completely gave way, and he died. When news of his death reached his home parish, the people there asked his son-in-law, also a minister, to hold a memorial service for their pastor. And it was at that occasion that Abide With Me was first sung. The hymn expresses the soul's longing 
for the presence of God in a time of trial. That is the same theme of the psalm that we're looking at today. The superscript of this psalm says, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Traditionally, the psalm has been understood to have been written by David when he was being pursued by Absalom. You remember the story, 2 Samuel 15 to 17. Absalom had gained a following among the young men and then eventually led an uprising against David's kingship. Absalom declared himself king. He, he rose up and David fled into the wilderness. 2 Samuel 15 verse 30 says that David fled weeping as he went barefoot with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and also wept as they went. There is this very poignant scene in 2 Samuel chapter 15 where Zadok, the high priest, brings out the ark of God to David. And David says, no, leave the ark here in Jerusalem. If God is pleased with me, I will come back to see the ark of God again. 2 Samuel 16 says that David and those who remained loyal with him escaped and they went beyond the Jordan River. They were very weary and yet they were urged to continue on because Absalom had raised up this army of all the men of Israel and they were in hot pursuit. And so David continued on and crossed the Jordan into the barren wilderness of the Judean countryside. And it is in this setting that David is writing this psalm. He is fleeing for his life. He has left everything almost that he has, his throne, his palace, his kingdom, the sanctuary, the ark of God, and has fled into the wilderness. And his own son is the one who has turned against him and is pursuing him with an army of David's own people. You can imagine his distress. Physically also, David is in a barren wilderness. He is weary. He is thirsty. He is in distress. And it is in that setting that David writes this psalm. The psalm expresses the agony of his heart to God. And in that setting, we would expect David to write something like, oh God, please protect me. Oh God, please deliver me. Oh God, please bring me safely back to my kingdom and establish me again on my throne. But he doesn't pray those things in this psalm. In this prayer, we cannot find one request, actually, not one. But rather, we find David seeking God himself, expressing his earnest thirst for God and finding his thirst satisfied. So I titled this sermon, The Soul's Refreshment in a Weary Land. And actually, the structure of this psalm, it, 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 it so clearly pictures the key that David found to refreshment of his soul in that time of wilderness. The structure is, is very interesting. If we look at the psalm, we see it has a closing, pardon me, an opening verse, verse 1. And it has a closing verse in verse 11. And then in between these two opening and closing phrases, the body of the psalm consists of two equal stanzas. Verses 4 excuse me, verses 2 to 5, and then verse 7 to 10. These two equal stanzas, and in fact, containing identical number of 27 Hebrew words. And then in between those two stanzas, we have the peak, the, 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 the pyramid point 
of this psalm in verse 6, the central verse directly in the middle of the psalm. And it is this central verse that expresses the main theme of the psalm, which is meditation upon God in the midst of trials. So the psalm is structured like a pyramid, if you can imagine a pyramid. At one base, we have David's crisis of faith in verse 1. At the other, ver uh, other base, we have the resolution of this crisis and his shout of joy in verse 11. And then at the peak, we have the key theme, meditation on God in the midst of trials, and then rising up and then coming down from that peak, we see the process of God refreshing David's heart in verses 2 to 5 and then verses 7 to 10. The intricate structure of this psalm is intended to point our attention to the key that David finds, the key that makes the emptiness of the Judean wilderness overflow with refreshment in David's heart as he finds joy in his God. And that key is in verse 6, and, and we'll look at it. It is meditation on God in the midst of trial. Psalm 63 is this beautiful story, this beautiful prayer that reveals <clears throat> meditation on God as the divine fountain for drinking deeply of heavenly refreshment in a spiritual wilderness. So let's begin. Let's look at this psalm. Verse 1, David begins, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Notice here how David begins. He begins with saying, O God, you are my God. It's a very simple opening and yet expresses two great truths. Firstly, he is addressing God as God, as the transcendent creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who is eternally perfect, eternally infinite, who is alone unto himself, all-sufficient, who alone has immortality, who dwells in inescapable light that no man can approach. He is the immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, the most wise, the most free, the most absolute fountain of all being. He is the God that David has written about. In Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. He is the God who looks down from the heavens in Psalm 53, whose deeds are awesome, whose power is so great that his enemies come cringing to him and all the earth worships him in Psalm 66. It is this transcendent God that David has in view. And yet, David also says, you are my God. Not only is this God transcendent, but he is also imminent. He is David's own God. He is expressing the personal relationship that he has and longs for in God. His affection, his allegiance towards God, this transcendent fountain of all being is also David's good shepherd whom he loves and whom he worships. And it's, we, we, we catch the sense of David's longing that he is earnestly seeking God in verse 1. I earnestly seek you. And we have this sense of David in this dry wilderness where people need to seek for water in order to be 
in order to survive. And, and David has that kind of attitude towards God. He is yearning for God. David has lost many things as he fled from Abs Absalom. But the loss that he feels most poignantly is the lost closeness with his God. And the thing that he desires more than anything else is the resumption of this intimate relationship with God. His relationship with God was the greatest good that David had and also the greatest loss that David experiences when he loses the sense of closeness with God as all the circumstances of his flight from Absalom are weighing in on him. So in the midst of all these other tragedies, David says, Oh God, I earnestly seek for you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The, the wilderness setting of his surroundings reflects the spiritual dryness and thirst of David for his God. The circumstances have piled up on David's head and have blown against him to the point where deep in his soul, David is crying out for thirst for God. He longs for closeness with his God. His heart and his flesh yearn for God. This, these trials have stripped away every resource and every help, and it has left David sapped and longing for his God, longing for closeness with God. We see this, this kind of attitude expressed elsewhere in the Psalms. For example, Psalm 42, the psalmist says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my pants, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? How many of us can relate now to the situation that David finds himself in? How many of us have experienced trials and adversity? Who here? has turmoil inside of you. Turmoil inside, turmoil outside, maybe both, that saps us of spiritual strength. Have you felt this way? Maybe some of you are feeling this way even now, experiencing a dark night of the soul like David, when you are so overwhelmed by trials in your life or your own sin that it feels like you're in a barren wilderness where your heart is beat down and, and, and there's just so much emotion that when you get down to it, ultimately you can't say anything more than I want to be close to God. I know that some of you are facing that kind of piercing trial even now. The death of a loved one has struck your heart or you're dealing with disease or sickness or wrestling against your own flesh or your own sin. The, 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 the battle is, is tiring. It produces a flood of emotions. And when you get down to it, at the bottom of your heart, you're left with this thirst and a sadness for the closeness of God, the closeness of a relationship with God that you seem to miss. So that's David's crisis. How does he deal with his crisis? Let's look at verse 2. Verse 2, David says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. He has looked upon the Lord in the sanctuary. And notice that he is referring to, to this event in the past tense. I have looked. 
So it's a past event that David is remembering. David is, is estranged from the temple or from the tabernacle of God. He's away from the tabernacle, away from the Ark of the Covenant, but he's remembering back to a time when he was with the people of God, assembled by the sanctuary, beholding the power and the glory of God. Whether this is some specific time that David is remembering or, or a general uh, experience of God's presence, we don't know. But the point is, is that David is calling to mind in the midst of his wilderness time, an experience when he worshiped God, when he beheld the power and the glory of God. And, and the memory of this experience encourages his heart. Notice here two things we can see. First, in his thirst for God, David thinks back to the past experience of God's presence in the public worship of his people. All of life is worship. But God greatly blesses his people with, with a greater apprehension of his glory and power when they assemble in corporate assembly than in other times. We, we, of course, we have sweet times of personal worship, and public worship does not excuse us from private worship. But nonetheless, God has gathered us, and, and the assembled worship of God's people is a special means of grace that the Lord uses to nourish and refresh and strengthen us in the time of wilderness. That's why I'm so thankful that God and his providence have provided a way for us to meet. How painful it was when we could not meet together. What a joy it is that we can meet together in the presence of God to be strengthened, to look upon his power and glory with the people of God. The th uh, another thing we see here is that David has been prepared to encounter this trial by all the experiences of his life worshiping the Lord. When the trial makes David fear from feel far from God. This trial comes upon him and he feels far from God. It's the past times of worship that he thinks back to that strengthen his heart at that moment. In other words, worship has prepared him for trial. It has been said that a pastor's chief job is to prepare his people for trials. Worship prepares us for trials day by day, week by week, as we worship God, as we take in his word, as we pray to him, as we call to mind his truth, his truthfulness and his faithfulness, as we think upon Christ and remember the gospel, gathering with his people, this arms the mind of faith. Truth is stored up to guard our hearts and guard our minds when the circumstances would blow us off course. Indeed, this is what happens to David. When we look at verse 3, notice the change. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. David is now thinking about the steadfast love of the Lord. He remembers God's loving kindness. He remembers how God saved him from his enemies, saved him from the hand of Saul. Even when he sinned, how the Lord sent Nathan to rebuke him, to call him back to repentance. And then the Lord forgave him of his sin and restored unto him the joy of salvation. He, he thinks about the steadfast love of the Lord and he acknowledges that your steadfast love is better than life. Yea, to live eternally under God's loving smile is better than a thousand lives. So said Spurgeon. 
And so David is consent, content to lose anything, even life, for the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. And because of this glorious reality, his lips begin to praise the Lord. He, 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 he breaks out in this song of praise in the midst of the wilderness. And in verse 4, he says, I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Hands lifted up is the posture for blessing. Even as I lift up my hands when I bless you in the benediction at the end of our service. So despite being dethroned and running for his life, David's heart is blessing the Lord, lifting his hands to the Lord. And he will continue to bless the Lord as long as he lives. He is so assured of God's steadfast love that he lifts up his hands to bless the name of the Lord. And then notice the change that come upon his condition in verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will bless you with joyful lips. Nothing in his circumstances have changed. But look at the change in David's heart. He's still in the wilderness, but now his soul is satisfied as with rich and fat food. He has experienced what he wrote about in Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. David was granted that great desire to worship and be close to God. And God gave him that desire. David derives his great desire from God himself. The Lord is his portion. The one thing that he asked of the Lord was to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And God granted that desire. And so he praises the Lord. Verse 3, with, uh, linking back to verse 3, saying that my mouth will praise the Lord as long as I live with joyful lips. There is joy in my heart, even though the environment is the same. But my inner soul is refreshed and I give thanks to God as I rejoice in God and overflow with songs of praise to God. What, what a remarkable change from verse 1 to verse 5. How did he get that way? How did, how did he come out of the, the darkness of the, the dark night of the soul to this glorious, rapturous song of praise, satisfaction in God? The answer is in verse 6. I already said this is the central verse in the psalm. There's these two identical, identically sized stanzas of 27 Hebrew words on either side of verse 6. It's straddling verse 6. In a sense, verse 6 is bearing up these five verses, like, like bearing up a yoke. It's on verse 6 that these other verses are true. So what does David say in verse 6? Look at, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Where does his joy spring from? Where does his recollection of the steadfast love of God come from? Where does this memory of God's power and glory come from, ultimately? The praise and the blessing and the satisfaction that David has all of these things are flowing from the, mount, the fountainhead of meditation upon God as David lies on his bed at night. We can imagine the scene. David fleeing from Absalom on the run in the wilderness. It's dark. He's lying on his bed. He's exhausted from the flight. 
his mind racing with all that has taken place. He thinks about what has happened, the, the betrayal of his son, the loss of his kingdom, the uncertainty of his future, the real threat to his own life. And as he begins thinking about those things and working them over in his mind, his soul thirsts, his flesh faints, he yearns for God. But then David remembers the Lord and he begins to think upon the Lord in the watches of the night. He thinks upon God. God becomes the occupation of his thoughts, his greatest thought. He thinks about how he would worship God in the sanctuary. He thinks about how he would behold the power and glory of God as they gathered with the people of God before the ark of God, before the tabernacle, all the priests and the singers and that whole deal and how it, it produced such a joy in his soul. And the memory of that, the meditation upon that begins to grow a vision in David's heart of God and, and God becomes bigger and the steadfast love of the Lord and all of the recollections of how God has been with him grows and grows in his mind. And the circumstances begin to become smaller and smaller. So we see here that meditation upon God is the vehicle for the truth of God to penetrate David's heart and overcome his feelings in the circumstance. Of course, ultimately, it is, it is God who is satisfying David's heart. He's not satisfied by meditation as much as he's satisfied by the meditation on God. But meditation is there. It's the focused thinking on the truth of God, especially the truth of God's word, that has produced this apprehension of the attributes of God, the memory of the presence of God, and the assurance of the love of God. Eventually, God's grace and mercy and, and, and his steadfast love completely overpowered the circumstances. David can hardly see them anymore. And there's no more dryness in his spirit. There's no more weariness in his soul. His flesh no longer faints. His inner man is satisfied as with rich and fat food. He has received spiritual blessings from God that came to him from the conduit of heavenly meditations upon the Lord. There is application here for us. Where do we go to receive refreshment? What can quench our thirsting spirits, our fainting flesh? Jesus said in John chapter 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Earlier in John chapter 6, Jesus said, Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Christ has satisfied all spiritual thirst for his people as he died on the cross for our sins, that we might be forgiven fully of our sin and restored unto God, justified by Christ's merits and redeemed as his children. Christ offered up his body and shed his blood to save us from God's wrath for sin. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. Now Christ gives us living water to drink. He restores our relationship to God and he, he opens up a new and living way to God through his flesh in Hebrews 10.22. 
In the gospel, we are invited, as, as our brother read to us, to come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. The, the refreshment for a weary soul is to set our minds on God through Jesus Christ. Fill your minds with the truth of God's word. Ponder what God has done for you in the gospel. Ponder what God's word says about his attributes. Think upon him. Turn him over in your mind. Turn the eternal truths of God's word over and over in your mind. Meditate on them. Take your thoughts off of the trials and storms and fix your heart on God. Remember him in your bed. Meditate him. Meditate on him in the watches of, your, of the night. Apostle Paul said it like this in Colossians chapter 3. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. The Christian is commanded to set his mind on Christ. That means think about Christ. Think about who he is, the infinite excellence of his person, what he has done for us in the gospel, the blessings that we have in him. Take every thought captive to obedience to Christ, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Renew your mind. Put off sinful ways of thinking and put on thinking about what is true, what is honorable and pure and just, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy, Philippians 4, 8. So God's people are to fix our minds on heaven. It has been said, you know, somebody is so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. But that is completely false. In fact, you can be of no earthly good unless you are heavenly minded. We are to love the Lord with all of our minds. Our thoughts are to be preoccupied with thinking about God. And really, how could David and, and how could us think about anything else? Verse 7 says, For you have been my help. No one had been David's help like God. And, and so for us, who has been our help like the Lord? No one has come to our aid like God. No one has satisfied our heart like God. No one has ever delivered us from wrath like God. No one has ever set us on the right path gone before us, walked beside us, come behind us, lived inside of us, been over us and under us like God. So David continues. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. His heart was held securely with the loving kindness of God so he could sing for joy. Whether we are in a trial, whether we're in the midst of it, leaving it, about to come into it, whether we're rejoicing in the Lord now or, or thirsting in adversity, God is our best thought. And so, my dear brother and sister, I urge you, like David, to set your mind upon him. Think about his excellent greatness. Think of Christ who died to save you, who is risen from the dead, interceding before the Father on your behalf. Consider the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Consider the promises that God has given us in his word. Ponder them. Think about them. Allow them to wash over your heart and mind. Let them fill your view 
Let God grow big in your mind as his vision and as his glory, as his faithfulness and love in Christ and in the gospel eclipses all other concerns. Like David, the Lord will take you in the shadow of his wings. He will guard your heart and he will satisfy your soul in him. Verse 8, David says, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. This is a comforting verse. It pictures a baby clinging to her mother or, or maybe a drowning man clinging to a piece of driftwood, hanging on for dear life. And I love this verse because it shows me that David is not superhuman. He is not superhumanly mature, and so he can just meditate on God and overcome his trials out of, this, out of the strength of his own moral fiber. No, he clings to God, and God's right hand upholds him. In other words, David is enabled to cling to God because God is the one who's holding on to David. So the strength to meditate upon God in the trial, it doesn't come from David himself. His strength comes from the Lord. The Lord is upholding him. David would say, I am what I am by God's grace. He lays hold of God by God. All things are from him and through him and to him. To God be the glory now and forever. Though storms and floods arise and beat against us, they cannot blow us out of God's loving grasp. Notwithstanding the wiles of Satan, the weakness of our own flesh, the temptations of the world, God's right hand upholds his children. We will surely be kept by the power of God unto salvation. His children are engraved, it says in the scriptures, in the palms of his hand. We have been given as Christ's flock. And Christ says, the ones that God has given to me, the Father has given to me, no one can snatch them from my hand because no one can snatch them from the Father's hand. Our names are written in Christ's book of life from eternity. Do you know what it is to cling to God? To say to God, I must know you more deeply. I must grab hold of your truth. I must trust in your promises. I must know more of your character, your attributes, your son, your word, your spirit. Apart from you, I can do nothing. David knew what this was like. He grabbed hold of God by faith, and he grabbed hold of God by meditating on God. <clears throat> How can you grab hold of God when God is spirit? And the answer is by meditation on the word of God, by meditating. It was uh, the way that David grabbed hold by faith and he would not let go. And, and ultimately it was God who was grabbing hold of David and upholding him in his word. Now let's look at verses 9 and 10. Consider how meditation changed David's own view of his situation. 9 and 10. Those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. It's nice and, and very uh, comforting to see that David's view has been cleared 
by his meditation on God so that he sees not just God aright, but he sees his circumstances aright. Absalom and his gang who seeks David's life will go down into the depths of the earth. In contrast with David's satisfaction with rich food, these enemies will become food for jackals. David is certain, if God is for me, who can be against me? And so he concludes, verse 11, the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is his clothing statement, that he will rejoice in God. He has moved from the sense of, of desperation and distress in verse 1 to joy and confidence in God by verse 11. And, and the path that brought him from distress to confidence had its trailhead, beginning with meditation upon God in the watches of the night. And so to, to conclude, let me give you one challenge and one encouragement. My challenge is this. How are you training your mind to think about God? A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind? How are you setting your mind on the things of Christ? How are you renewing your thinking so that the truth of God pervades your whole world and your whole heart? I challenge you, as you read your Bible, something simple. As you read your Bible, grab one truth. Grab one nugget of God's truth wherever you are reading in your daily Bible reading, and think about it during the day. Think about it. Mull it over in your mind. Don't allow the word of God to pass through you like a pipe, in and out. Soak it in. Grab hold of, of some truth and meditate, it, meditate on it, even just one truth from God's word. Turn it over in your thoughts. Meditate on it. Think about it. Let it lift your mind to things that are above to the heavenly glories of Christ. That's my challenge. My encouragement is this. My brother and my sister who is facing a wilderness of trial, who is going through a season of adversity, take comfort in God. The God who held up David's heart and satisfied his soul in the darkness of his trials was the same God, I should say, is the same God who experienced his own anguish on our behalf. Christ on the cross was plunged into the deepest darkness as he bore your sin and my sin. He experienced the greatest separation from God as our sin was placed upon him and, and he was made to drink the cup of God's wrath in our place. Our Lord felt the deepest thirst, not just in body, but also in soul, as he cried out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Out of the anguish of his soul, says Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11, he shall see and be satisfied, and he shall bear their iniquities. Through Jesus' cross we are saved. It is through his anguish of soul, that we have satisfaction of soul. 
So cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. Ask him to help you in your affliction, for his right hand is holding you up. Ask him to help you fix your mind on Christ. Ask the Lord, help me to meditate on you, O Lord, in the watches of the night. Help me to remember you on my bed, that my soul might praise you. That was the prayer that the hymn writer Henry Light had in his heart as he wrote that hymn that we sang, Abide With Me. His body was breaking down because of the tuberculosis in his lungs. And he prayed to the Lord, help me think on Christ in this time of trial. As I go through the trial of death, help me think of Christ. So the last verse says, Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks, earth, vain shadows flee, and life and death, O Lord, abide with me. That is the prayer that David prayed. It's the prayer that Henry Light prayed. It's the prayer that God answers. Psalm 63 points us to the soul's refreshment in a weary land, to meditate on the Lord Jesus Christ. As you fix your mind on Christ and as you meditate upon Christ, God will comfort you and God will help you to say like David, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, Thank you that you are our God through Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have given us your truth. Thank you that Jesus has borne our wounds and carried our transgressions on the cross. Lord, that we might be restored into fellowship with you. Thank you that Jesus has given himself, Lord, as the living bread, as the true water, true spiritual nourishment for our hearts so that we can cry out to you, O Lord, in the midst of any trial and any circumstance. We can think upon you upon our beds in the watches of the night and you renew us, O Lord, with your truth. We give thanks for Christ. We thank you that Christ renewed David's soul. We thank you that Christ renews our soul. Lord, help us to meditate upon him, to fix our minds on him, to lift our minds and fix them on Christ, to put our hearts on things above, our minds on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Oh, Lord, we ask that you may help us to delight in you, to be satisfied in you, and to give praise to Christ our King, even as he refreshes our hearts. We pray all of this. In Christ's name, amen.